0: 7654321 Hello and welcome to What the Fork Happened This Week podcast. A brand new weekly podcast from What the Fork that discusses the weekly goings-on from within the football world. This week's guest is none other than Ipswich's most famous YouTuber, Benjamin Bloom, and we'll be discussing the championship playoffs, ownership and the fit and proper owners tests. We'll be asking who our favourite football manager and championship manager classic players are, and also asking, is Roy Keane just doing it for the likes? All that and much, much more. Most, very first guest, a man with 10.6 YouTube subscribers, which is considerably more than myself, a nice illiterate name, and Luke Ayling's doppelganger. Mr. Benjamin Bloom, how are you doing, mate? Are
1: you all right? Yeah, I get, it's, it's the way I run. I get mistaken for Luke Ailing. I've obviously got the same candor in my run as um, Luke Ailing has, and I can score screaming volleys. Does Luke Ailing have it shaved around the, the side? I don't think he does. does Doesn't he have does? the undercut? Don't think no. he
0: does.
1: I think Luke Ailing's straight up. Quite Graham, he's quite funny. I went to Brentford, and I always sit on the Bramer Road stand along this Brentford Leaves. It was when they collapsed last Easter, and Ailing was getting some stick, and he did the best thing, best long-haired bloke thing I've ever seen. Um, the I think someone was getting treatment, so he really seductively comes right over to the touchline, pulls it out, whips it all down, and then puts the top knot back up exactly where it was, knowing he was going to get catcalls and everything, but. Um, in the words of Alan Partridge, needs this to say he had the last laugh as he's going to probably be lining up a Premier League play. Um, anyway, you didn't want to talk about Luke Hayley, did
0: you? I remember it was 1996, I think it was, David Ginola, David Ginola, as his hair was oh. nice and long and flowing, you know, because he was worth it at the time. And I'll never forget he got, uh, and Sunderland fans will remember this quite well, but as a kid, I think I would have been about 10, 11, or 10. Um, and I remember he went to take a corner in the last ever some in Newcastle Derby at Roker Park, and he went and take a corner, and some guy just flung a massive Roker pie in his hair, and it was just bits of pastry all <laughs> over on the back, and it's uh it's one of the main reasons I missed Roker Park. So uh, it was nice to see him going that way. But um, first topic.
1: He didn't just have long hair though, Graham. He had like proper oh, um, chiselled leading man movie star good looks as well, didn't he? Yeah, he still does
0: as well. The Seen a video of him the other day and I was just like, I'm sure he's not been on for sixty, like Yeah. <laughs> Mid thirties. Uh first topic, Bournemouth and, and Eddie Howe, going old Judge Rinder on Hawkeye. Um it's kinda of fresh off the, the press. We're speaking today on what is it, Tuesday? Yeah. Um so it's for people who don't know, which I'm sure is nobody if you're listening to this, but deemed they got relegated because of Sheffield United's disallowed goal against Villa, which was Really bad, I remember. It was the first game back, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um,
1: what are your thoughts on it? Um, I mean, without having thought about it massively, my instinct is straight away, I don't really like it. It's um, it's very much in case of, look, the, the tech went wrong, and they admitted that the tech went wrong. Um, but I always kind of think that one um, incident in a game does not constitute you A, losing that game, or B, being relegated nine um, weeks after that game, there's always the argument that, oh, well, you had you had 38 games, and you're arguing now that... I mean, this would be... Villa didn't win that game, did they? They no, basically no. got a point. Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically... Arguing over a nil-nil draw secured by one of your rivals nine weeks ago—that uh, to me sounds a little bit lame. I mean, look, people have got a massive hard on for VAR, haven't they? And they just want to criticise it wherever they can. Yeah, look, it didn't work. Okay, stop. You know, sorry, it didn't. It didn't work that day. The eight—what was it? They said that eight camera angles couldn't quite catch Neyland um, dropping. <laughs> Back in the behind the, the goal line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, despite the fact that um, one of Sky's cameras then got it and broadcasted it um, all around the world, um, nothing's going to happen on it, is it? Surely. Surely not. I mean, I, the
0: funniest part was I was quite enjoying, just before obviously we, we came on air here, that that was kind of the breaking news, so to speak. So I thought I better speak about it. And I was reading about it and I've got a, I don't even think it's a controversial opinion on Eddie Howe anymore because I don't really rate him. Um, but it was quite funny seeing the comments underneath. Obviously, you had the people who were trying to have the educated comments and and reasons why that shouldn't happen. And pretty much, you know, the way that you've just mentioned it there, but Twitter is Twitter and you'll always get some offensive, slightly hilarious comment, and someone said, Oh, why didn't you just go back to Liverpool and sue them for signing a slang in Jordan Ive? And I thought, that's such a valid point though. Like it's like if you get into a point where things that have happened in the past that like you can't really change and was no one's Technically, no one's real fault. You're then suing people for it, or whatever it is. Could you just go back to, like, guess, World Cup 2006 and
1: lump odds goal or what? I guess, Brian, the difference with this one is they've admitted that it was a faux pas, isn't it? So yeah. the second they hold their hands up and say some kind of culpability. But really, when they said that, all they were, all in my opinion, they were saying was, look, the, um, the Hawkeye didn't work at that point, so we're relying on the two officials. The two human beings um, couldn't tell. Therefore, at that point in that game, we didn't have the capability to be able to prove definitively that that ball went into the net. But again, I'm even hearing myself saying it and thinking, you know, hating myself slightly, thinking this is, this is ludicrous and this is clutching in the biggest way. Because like you say... The second you um, entertain something like that, at every relegated club in history, you know. And can we not go back years? Surely there'll be a club that was relegated that then screwed their next ten. You know, but what about what about my team Ipswich? with have ITV Digital. We've essentially been screwed as a club since ITV Digital went under. Can we can we get reparations for twenty years of you know against? Satentor or ITV Digital or whatever it was that went under. It's like, it's where do you stop? And you've got to wipe the slate clean at some point, haven't you?
0: And that's the thing with with VAR as well. I mean, um, you kind of get sick of hearing about it, but then it's so prevalent when you're watching the game now, and they stop it for like almost everything. Part of me sort of misses the human element to football.
1: Like, if it happens, as I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get onto when we do the red card in the Brentford playoff semi-final that's been overturned. That I've literally seemed to have spent my entire week trying to explain to people what the rules for um, serious foul play are, and the fact that I don't mind being right or wrong, but let's at least have the right debate. You know, quote me the right rules. Don't where all this made up um, studs up. Reckless he took the ball, literally not in the rules yeah. <laughs> no, entirely. Um, it's like this at least have the right debate, and I suppose VAR on the black and white things does help with that, but they're, they're obviously a way off, and it's um, what did they say one in 10,000? Um, this was the one in 10,000 that um, you know that they couldn't get a clear view of the incident on. so yeah, it feels important. a little bit churlish on that 0.0001 um you know fallibility ratio or whatever that is so the cover of Bournemouth what we're saying in the bin Bournemouth like <laughs> well um i don't know about you a, a, a lot of people i know seem to have a great disliking for um for Bournemouth and well nice I, I mean uh, yeah I, honestly i'm not I'm not that bothered, really it's not something that I go to sleep worrying about, but the only thing that bothered me was um, plucky little Bournemouth when they completely nuked FFP in the same way that Brighton and Wolves did to get up and it's like no, they're not plucky at all. They paid Kenry Jones, who you know a lot about, um, on loan at the end of that 14, 15 season, uh, probably a lovely little sum of money to to get over the line with. Matt Ritchie in there, the old Championship cheat code, and Lewis Grabban, who's been, you know, a Championship goal machine. Yeah, you know about him as well, um, Ever since, <laughs> so yeah, right. Um, good, good player. Um, maybe, maybe not. I generally loved at Sunderland.
0: Bit of a bastard, but there you go. <laughs> Bit of a, I mean, I'm judging his whole character on 30 seconds of Netflix, but it's like that's, the, <laughs> that's a triv- tri- uh, the tribal world of football, isn't it? Or the trivial world of football, if you prefer. But, um, so, yeah, I'm going to say the- born in the bin.
1: Graham, it's, it's 2020. You, d- you don't even need to judge it on the 20 seconds of Netflix. You no. need to judge it on the headline of the tweet without even watching the 20 seconds of Netflix. And, by the way, retweet it then as your own opinion without even knowing what the hell has been said. But content is content, right? <laughs>
0: yep. <Yeah. laughs> so you touched on the uh, the playoffs, as it was. I watched the um I watched the Swansea game, as I didn't watch um, Fulham. So Cardiff and Fulham fans, if I'm making a, an opinion here, do forgive me in advance. But I didn't watch any of you. Um, but I watched Swansea and, and Brentford with uh, my girlfriend. Uh, rubbish game, rubbish game. So boring.
1: But that was never a red card. The the tension the tension has been taken out of the playoffs with the lack of um, lack of fans. Um, look, we're going to disagree slightly. I'm not going to come on here and say that was never a red card. What I'll say is, based on the laws, I don't think it was a unreasonable to give a red card or b unreasonable not to give a red card. And I think people just need to look really closely at the law and see that this is just completely subjective it's not either a red card or not a red card the the serious foul play law which i seem to have been reading all bloody week, says if a player lunges in with one or two feet and either not both either endangers or uh, endangers the opponent or uses excessive force then um it's serious foul play and serious foul play is a red card so we're not debating anything that's black and white it's In a man's opinion, sadly, that man was Keith Stroud, which is always problematic. But in a man's opinion, was the force excessive or did he endanger the opponent? So it's just not black and white. And um, what I will say is as soon as I saw that tackle go in, knowing that it was Keith Stroud, I was like, he'll definitely send him off. Yeah, He will will definitely send him off for that. Um, there, There is no... This is not like, did the ball cross the line or not. This is not black and white. There is no right or wrong answer. Um, So for all the people who are going to go, no, 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 it got overturned today. Um, uh, There is no right or wrong in this. Um, So in someone else's opinion now, it wasn't excessive force or danger in the opponent. It's it's very, very grey. And you've already mentioned VAR in this chat. Um, VAR is for black and white stuff. Everything else in football is... I someone listed it once. There's three things or something in football that are definitive. Um, a goal, uh, the ball going in and out of play for a throw-in, and um, the whistle to end I I forget what the quote is or something. Everything else is literally open to the interpretation of, of, the, of the referee. But yes, on my live stream, we had a lot of fun with differing um, opinions. And my view is, Graham, as long as we're actually debating the right thing, um, the, the analogy I use is imagine getting pulled over by the police and he said, what, why have I stopped you? Oh, um, because I was speeding? Yes, you were going 35 and a 30. And then me saying, but my hair was tied up. And then the policeman going, but that's totally irrelevant. I've stopped you for going 35 and a 30. Yeah, but my hair's tied up. Look, did you know what I mean? It's like studs up, um, reckless, out of control. No, excessive force or endangering the opponent. Oh, and by the way, you're never going to get a black or white because those are both subjective. So um, that's all I want, is for uh, people to actually know the law before they have a pop at the ref.
0: When it comes to the red card itself, though, whichever way you swing on the opinion, and obviously my opinion was like, and I don't know I don't know if it's just because I grew up idolising Kevin Ball, lynching people every week. Good footballer as well, not just a good tackle of mine, but he mm-hmm. did like a tackle. But for me, it wasn't. But the big thing for me is you talk about playoff and I think the pressure has been taken out a a little bit because of the lack of fans being there. It feels a bit weird. But if you're Brentford, who probably deserved a point from that, I would have said they saved the penalty, so on and so forth. But they're going to the second leg, having to overturn a a 1-0 deficit when they had to play, what, 25, 30 minutes without a a player that's now been deemed to be incorrectly sent off based on the opinion of someone, whoever's at the FA, has decided on that. Um, are we going into Bournemouth territory, where if Brentford lose the second leg, we can start oh, you suing? <laughs>
1: You've just, you just hit the nail on the head. No one will care if Brentford win, will they? No. It won't, it won't, even, be a, it won't even be an issue. But, uh, arguably, if, if Bournemouth can go legal, then Brentford can. This is why I'm surprised, on such a matter of subjectivity, that they've thrown Keith Stroud under the bus with this one, unless they're arguing that um, a player ran in his way and he couldn't quite see. In which case, you're absolving him of the blade and saying, that wasn't a mistake. Um, it, due to circumstances out of his control, he wasn't in a position to make the correct call on that. Um, yeah. Despite the fact that it's... Um, and unless we start doing a speed equals distance over time equation on a player running into a tackle to define exactly what excessive force is. It's just a bloke's opinion, do you know what I mean? And, um, you know, we've known each other a while. I respect you. We've got a completely different opinion between the oh, yeah. two. But, Graham, I don't hate you because you have a different opinion to me. And you. therein <laughs> lies the lesson for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah.
0: With... Uh... With the, the other game, like I said, I didn't really watch it, but it looks like I think, as expected, Fulham, I would have expected Fulham to win that. I think Fulham's probably got one off, if not the best strikers
1: in that league at the moment, which people say. Oh, was he injured?
0: He and was he out.
1: And they won. I tell you what, Graham, two superb goals in that in that game. So Josh Onimer with a lovely little dribble, and then Nasekins could buy just like the worst thing that could possibly happen if you're a Cardiff fan. It's like, you get a free kick 92 minutes in, 25 yards out. A minute, every, every Cardo fan's probably like, oh, this is going in the top corner then. You know, persuading themselves the worst thing's going to happen. And then up he pops and strokes it in there. But um, I have to say, I've been a bit, um, oh, Scott Parker, you know, he's got the best front three there. He should be higher in the league. So we need to give him some credit. I know it was two bits of... Brilliance, but like you just mentioned, Mitrovic is literally a cheat code in the championship, isn't he? And yeah, did it sure. did it without without him as well. And one foot in the final though. Although Parker's poker face on the injury, we don't even know if Mitro will be there um, next week because he did not give anything away on that one. But certainly, hot favourites now two 0 up going into the second leg. Who are you taking for the playoffs? Who do you think will win out? Um, Nottingham Forest, I said for the long... <laughs> 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 I was like, "Oh, they're really, they're really tight at the back, you know. They'll be fine without the ball in a playoff game. The Moosey will coach them through this, and then, yeah, the mother of all collapses." Do you know, Graham? Thirty minutes from the end of the last game of the season, Nottingham Forest was three points ahead of Swansea with a five-goal um, goal difference, with thirty minutes to go of the season, just. Incredible swing. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, well, how, how can we not sit here with one team, two goals up and not say Fulham are now... Uh, if, I'm, if I'm a bookmaker, I'm pulling Fulham's odds right in. Although, if I'm a punter, I'm maybe I'm on Brentford because they're behind a one-goal yeah. deficit and I'm going to get the best price. Um, it'd be very interesting, won't it? But uh, Fulham look like they're in the final, don't they? And like you say, we could get a... Um, Could get a bit of a swing in the Brentford game. What about
0: you? I'm going to say Swansea. I don't know why. just got feeling. I think um, when I watch them on, I mean, I I like their manager. When I've seen them, I like the way they play football. Um, I think probably, well, based on points, Brentford have probably been the best of the the four throughout the season. But just the way Brentford's season ended and the way Swansea's did, I think how often do you see a team sometimes finishing fifth or sixth and they've kind of like, just zoomed into the playoffs. Like Crystal Palace has done it countless times throughout the years. Oh, um, not just fans. Crystal
1: Palace, Ian Holloway himself. He's done it with Blackpool and with um, yeah. with Palace. Although I will say, Graham, we're on for an equal playoff record here. If Swansea do win the playoffs, they'll be joint with 2010 Blackpool under Ian Holloway as the lowest ever point scorer to win the playoffs with 70. So they will probably... Go up via the back door, even though, um, I mean, look, West Brom with 83 were probably, I haven't looked, probably one of the lowest second places. All the points, given Blooming I mean, Luton got 51 points, all the points were swamped up because the bottom six weren't whipping boys.
0: The funny thing with talking about that as well, that, that statistic alone, it's been said by a few people this week, but potentially the team that finished 13th in the championship are getting relegated to be replaced by the team that finished eighth in League One. And I mean, as Ipswich and Sunderland fans, we can't argue about how shite (laughs) we've been. We've been rotten all season, and I'm certainly not defending Sunderland going up because I'd much rather have just left the playoffs and just, you know, pied it off. But for like a Peterborough fan,
1: looking at stuff like that,
0: you must be pretty peeved off.
1: Like, well, uh, absolutely. and Fleetwood, you know, choking in that semi-final. Oxford have been really, really good. You know the ones, though, were, and Joey Barton was right about this, when the music stopped, Rotherham, with that points total and the games they had left, and like, I love the way Rotherham handled it. It was like, oh. <laughs> we're just not going to say anything left. We'll let Dara the Explorer and Ipswich and Sunderland all talk. We're just going to say nothing at all and um, up we go. But no, I like Paul Warren and I like Rotherham. But yeah, 8th and 13th, yeah, sensation. Poor old Wigan,
0: Yeah, no, I feel, and and the Wigan situation, I suppose, whilst we're on it, that seems desperately sad because why are they getting penalised for something that potentially you could say the FA or the EFL have authorised? Is it not technically
1: it's difficult. Well, it's difficult, isn't it? It is very plausible that you can pass a fit and proper persons test and then do something awful, like put a really good football team that would have finished, like you said, 13th in the table with 61 points. Never mind, Luton get staying up with 51, Wigan going down with 61 essentially. Um, I think I've got that number uh, that number right. In fact, I can check for you right now, yeah. Um, Something excuse like that, me, yeah. 59, 59, but still you decent side in that division, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't look good, does it?
0: What do you think about the, the talking about fit and proper persons, um, obviously we are veered off into a different place completely here, but I suppose with, it's a sole subject with Sunderland fans at the minute, <laughs> um, because. There's a lot of rumours that go around about it and things like that. And I always am quite curious as to what people think about the fit and proper owners test because it seems that there is more and more and more people that are not fit and proper. So I suppose another question to pose would be, is the fit and proper owner
1: test fit and proper? <laughs> is it the right? Well, I mean, reading between the lines, are you asking whether a little arbitrary test maybe could be replaced by an actual financial commitment to say, you know, people always talk about putting a bond up to say, right, here's our turnover. Therefore here is, I don't know, 40% of average turnover per the last three years of the club. I have to put that up. And you know, when you rent a house, there's there's that body that collects the deposit. So the, so no one's got it i'm sure i'm sure there would be plenty of volunteers to sit there and be the go between and collect the interest on on the 40 percent. but may, maybe we need to edge towards that and can i just ask you as a sunderland fan um uh, first of all any takeover that's predicated on next year's parachute money sets alarm bells off in my head and i hadn't realized that's happening at huddersfield um Hodgkinson there, there was a loan taken out against year one parachute money, and apparently year two parachute money goes to the old owner. Um, what's your reaction to that as a, as a Sunderland fan, given that was how um, Stuart Donald financed, essentially financed his takeover with money that wasn't his?
0: Allegedly, allegedly, I have allegedly. to say. Have to say. Um,
1: <laughs> you do, I yeah, don't.
0: Yeah, you don't, you don't. I think it's, I think it's <laughs> tricky. Um, I think the way that Sunderland have been treated over the past few years, which strikes similarities, that's what's going on at Huddersfield, Is it's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Like You look at how... I mean, will Huddersfield go straight down next season? And they haven't gone down this season, although there was points when it looked like they could do. So they might somehow get away with not being in complete ruin, which it seems to be like with Sunderland. But there's something we're going to go into with Barley Mumba, our young players are getting sold off right, left and centre for next to nothing. Um, and it does raise questions like how skinned are we? And it doesn't matter how many times you get told, you know, we're not skinned, blah, blah, blah. You you know that's probably not as factual as it should be because the signs, I mean, actions and words, isn't it? And I think the stuff at Sunland at the minute, the way it's gone, um, there's rumours of Stuart Donald trying to bring court cases against fans who've said nasty words to him I don't know the ins and outs of it but it's not good it doesn't it doesn't sound like a positive thing whatsoever and I think when you look through if that's what's happening at Huddersfield why is it happening and why has it been allowed to happen um because if say Huddersfield had gone down what kind of situation would they be in if they didn't come straight back up like us
1: And I'm not saying that is what's going to happen at Huddersfield. I'm just saying the only other um, time I was aware of someone doing a takeover and basically saying, look, we've got this nice, cushy little three lumps of money coming in from the Premier League. Um, I'll buy you out now, and in a year's time, you know that cushy lump of money, I'll give that to you, all right? The only other time I've heard of that is, and look, I'll happily sit here with you in a year's time if they're Bielsa coach that they've hired from Leeds and if they can get Struick and Shackleton on loan from Leeds now um, and do it that way and they're in the top six I'll say no it worked fine but um, I'm just saying I've only seen that happen on one occasion so I don't upset any Huddersfield fans Um, and that's Sunderland and um, it didn't go so well when they weren't promoted back in that first season you know
0: or second, for the record. Um, talking about Sunderland, we did want to discuss the sort of situation with Barley Mumba, which is obviously something I know a fair amount about, I suppose. Um, there's been a lot of young players moved on. Barley Mumba is probably the, the tip of the iceberg, if I'm completely honest. You have a lot of young, promising 16-, 17-, 18-year-old players that have been sold on to clubs like Manchester United and so on and so forth. And from the outside looking in, it looks like, well, what can you do? Um the upset, I think, for Sunland fans, and I don't speak for everyone, but I know a majority of people have said they're not really happy at how there's no fight being put up to try and keep these players whatsoever. Um, and then that kind of brings me on to looking at Birmingham. So if we can't really stop players going to Man United and so on and so forth, and that could be wrong, and I'm quite happy to be, um, how come Birmingham can get £25 million for a Jude Bellingham? He was what, sixteen, seventeen? So why why did their players go for twenty five million and ours go for three hundred and fifty thousand? Um, I know there's a comparison between the the talent and things like that, but we're selling off talent after talent after talent and being told there's nothing we can do. Um and I should probably look at the ins and outs of that, but I'm pretty certain there's stuff that you can do. Um but Barley Mumba, ten games in League One, give or take, I think one or two in the championship, played in midfield what? last season. Oh, uh no central midfield for us. But then he's been played at really? right back in reserves. Right back in reserves. Um which we all find quite weird and think it's we can't understand why he plays right back. But then Norwich just signed him and said that they want to play him as a right back. Is that right?
1: Yeah uh, I've I heard that he's Max Aaron's replacement.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically what I've heard. And I think with um but with Barley, he was on the loan to South Shields last year, which tells you like I mean, COVID hit, and I think he played two games, so that kind of ruined it. But Barley came in when he was 16, I think. Played a few games when we first got relegated, then just disappeared into thin air and turned into a well, right-back in an under-18s team that have lost pretty much every game that they've played with barley Mumba. Um, but from the outside looking in, I suppose, because the people listening in, if there's any Sunderland fans, will know what the opinion and the thoughts are on barley Mumba. So I suppose from the outside looking in, as someone who, I suppose, lives on the blue side of East Anglia but I've heard about Bolly but What do you make of the situation with like young players just disappearing like Bolly from something
1: for minimal sums? Uh, um, it's annoying, isn't it? I mean, we've got a couple of lads in, I mean, and this is pre even them getting into the first team from our academy that are now at Chelsea and Manchester City. And we've got fees for them, but they've gone before. They've been 16, Graham, and you you'd see this player coming through at Man City and you would go, oh, the homegrown Man City player. And you're like, no, that's been, you know. But then even someone like Norwich, you know, Max Aarons was Luton and uh, Ben Godfrey was York. And um, I think they got a couple from Luton actually, or Milton Keynes, somewhere around the part of the world. Um, It's it's annoying. You're never going to stop it unless you're Real Madrid or Barcelona where there is literally nobody above you. Mm-hmm. Um someone, even if you're Man United, um Barcelona and Real Madrid come and come and take your best player every 15 years or so, don't they? Um yeah, it's very annoying. Um, from the blue half of East Anglia point of view, we always assume that any Stuart Webber Norwich signing will uh be sold two years later for about twenty-five times what what was paid for it, which is um which is very frustrating. I had a couple of things to say about the prices though, Graham, and this is one thing that Ipswich has fallen really foul of, is who are you selling to, right? So where Ipswich has gone really, really what wrong, and we've seen a couple of instances of, for example, Adam Webster. We sell to Bristol City, and then a year later, Bristol City sell to Brighton for five times more than we sold. So the first rule of thumb is, if you sell League One to Championship, or Championship to Championship, you'll get reasonable money. If you sell, um, and no one really sells League One to Premier League, I know there's Delhi Alli and Fabian Delph and a couple of his names. If you sell Championship to Premier League, then you get your yeah. good money. Even someone like Josh Brownhill from Bristol City will be, or Chris Wood or someone, like 15 million quid. Burnley can pay 15 million quid um, in that respect. If you sell, and this is your Jude Bellingham thing, if you sell from anywhere to Champions League, you can then basically double the fee again. So I think with Bellingham, and uh, Bellingham could be really good, you know, seriously good player, um, you know, a Champions League player for 10 years, basically. But it's, who's the buying club? And did you buy from Brentford as well? Because that's a 50% tax on everything because their recruitment's been so good. But no, and Norwich are one of these teams that, well, they're not in the Premier League, so they're not gonna play Premier League money anymore. Um, in the championship and as much as it galls me norwich's recruitment's excellent you know they always pick up they've got the guy from coventry and the guy from um bailey mumba from uh, sunderland um possibly that's your new aarons and lewis if they're resold so um i think um i think it depends who's buying and there's this um unwritten levy the other thing i wanted to say is the t- two most uh interchangeable positions in lower division football are full-back and central midfield. I've seen Reese James last year go on loan to Wigan and look, okay, we all know Reese James is an exceptional player who now plays in the Champions League. And Paul Cook was like, hang on a minute, he's going central midfield now. You know what I mean? So that is the switch that you sometimes get made in the lower level. Um, But then when you step up a bit, it's... You know, uh, to play centre midfield in the Premier League, you have to be really, really good. Whereas, you know what it's like um, when you've got that touchline alongside you, your frame of reference is literally you, you're taking a you know a third of it out, as in your you know you're looking forward and inside, aren't you? Whereas, if you're centre midfielder, you you have to be seriously switched on up here, don't you? So we'll see. Um, I'm sure if these. Um, if he's uh, up to it, uh, he'll he'll get in central midfield for Norwich. But um, it, it would seem he's been brought as a fullback. Funny
0: thing is, when you're talking about valuations and stuff like that, and maybe because I'm biased because I have a, a bit of love for Rangers, but I find that the valuation when you go to the Scottish Premiership just totally drops. Like Morelos is the top scorer in the Europa League, and there's people saying ah, he's worth no more than eight or nine million pounds. I think Kenny McLean went to Norwich for like a million something like that, John McGee. Graham
1: Shinney. Yeah, Graham Shinney from Aberdeen yeah. um, to Derby as well. It's a good market there. Um, well, look, look at Wackham to Ipswich. Quarter of a million and then sold for five million a, a season later.
0: It's mad. like, and he, When you look at the... And I think that's where a lot of Sunderland fans got frustrated with the Bolly Mumba thing. It was the fact that it was another young player being sold on, seemingly being quite mismanaged and not really being given a chance out of the club. then sold for I think around £350,000 it's still I don't know maybe it's me being biased but I feel it still feels a bit cheap for someone who's like an under 17 under I think under 19 England international
1: that can play two positions. Um, Graham it's tricky from your point of view you think you're selling the next um, is he English? Yeah. You think you're selling the next England fullback from your point of view because it's the worst case scenario whereas from a buyer's point of view it's Oh, well, we're taking a punt on this guy. He's only played 10 games at League One level. He could be a complete bust and we'll, you know, he'll finish his career down the league. So I can see it works both ways. Just remember, evaluation is what someone's willing to pay and what someone's willing to accept as a price. And unfortunately, you've got Norwich. who have just banked the best part of 100 million TV money and now have 45 million parachute money against Sunderland who were owned by Stuart Donald, and I'll say no more.
0: <laughs> That's a good way to end it, to be fair. Um, you, talking about Jude Bellingham, there's been a heck of a lot of fuss made about that shirt retirement and like. <laughs> It's mental, like it's mad. Um, and it's not his fault, um, but I can never understand. And I don't know too much about Birmingham. And for me, if they're going to retire anyone's shirt at Birmingham, it needs to be Lee camps completely because he's the worst goalkeeper that I've ever seen. He's got li- literally, he has poppadons for hands. He's awful. Um, but Birmingham seem to love him, which I find quite weird. It must be a different league camp that, to the one that I saw. I'm sure he's a nice bloke. Um, but retiring shirt numbers. I think there's a time and a place for it, but have you ever seen anything so absolutely bizarre as retiring a shirt number for a player that's played 40 odd games just because he might be proper good?
1: Um, it does seem a little bit ridiculous. I thought you were gonna go, oh, they should retire Trevor Francis's number eight from the seventies, and then you went with Lee Camp, dear I mean. Um, look, first of all, if he wasn't number twenty-two, I don't think they retired a shirt, is is one thing I'll say. Um, secondly, what Birmingham have tried to do with Jude Bellingham is they had a long heads up that he was going to go. From what I've heard, Dortmund had the deal done two, three weeks before it was announced. So they had plenty of time to PR up the sale. And what they went with was instead of the truth, which you and I know is we've just sold our best player um, and we hope you don't notice when we don't reinvest all of the money, um, trillion um, instead of that which is which is the truth they might reinvest reinvested money hey they spent seven million on Sunich didn't they after selling Che Adams last year um, what they've done is they've said he's one of our own they've got footage of him looking around the stadium saying goodbye they've played up the fact that they've still got his brother on the books and everyone the, the, the old myth that the younger brother is always better but he just couldn't quite get there that we've heard about every single footballer that ever had a younger brother but there you go he's there at the club and they've tried to sell it as he's one of our own and we're going to retire the shirt um, but yes when you consider that someone like Kevin Beattie um, died a couple of years ago Ipswich Town's greatest ever player and you know no offence I mean like Luke Wolfenden's going to wear the number six and he's an excellent player and in some ways it's great he's wearing Kevin Beattie's Sure, you know, that's awesome. But when you look around those American sports stadiums and you see the um, you know, the retired shirts and the reverence and the historical story that, you know, that that tells, um, then it's quite cool. But the fact that not many clubs do it, and now Birmingham are doing it for a guy who just turned 17 who's played 30 games, it, I think it's a PR exercise is what I'm saying. But if more people did it in the same way the Americans do with the basketball players and the NFL players, I think it's a pretty, pretty cool thing. And you could end up with your dream team across the top of the... top of the. Who, who's, um, who's shirt would you retire from Sunderland? Phillips, from your lifetime?
0: From well, My lifetime would be Phillips is 10. Probably... You could technically retire number 10 for Ian Porterfield. Obviously, he sadly passed away. But if I'm going to go for a ridiculous one, because the ridiculous ones are always the best, we'll go for. I think I'm sure it was number thirty-two, but Milton Nunez, because he was five for <laughs> five for three, and, <laughs> and Nunez was signed for <laughs> two point six million, and it was he was the wrong player like this is the myth i did a lot of research on this and i don't know how far true it is and i'd love i don't think peter reed's ever admitted it either way but
1: and and really he's a great,
0: great track we in the transfer in the transfer market did uh did really uh, at this time especially phillips 350k but he brought in milton nunes for 2.6 and the thing with milton nunes is it's the story that goes with him it's the fact that he watched like a YouTube video or something like that of some guy who'd been a Bayern uh, by Munich, I think that was been over in Honduras or something along that line. He said, Oh yeah, I want him. Then the agent was like, Oh, this one, who was about half the size of him. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we signed him for two point six, whole rumors that it was the wrong player. Now he was he was called Tyson. He used to get called Tyson, so it was Milton Tyson Nunes. And mm-hmm. like he used to It was the Everton game at home, I think mm, 2000, and he got introduced to the fans at halftime, which is a bad thing. We did that with Will Grigg, it never really works, But he did the kind of like Tyson punching thing. He was like, yeah, yeah, but the guy's like five foot three um, and rubbish, like really awful. Um, And I think the stories you hear about, and we had like, I've obviously interviewed a few former Sunderland players who played with him. And said so they used to take him out on like a night out, and he used to get ID'd because he was like so small. And like, who's that? And I go, oh, it's Milton. It's just little Milton. Like, let him in. It's fine. But yeah, I would I would probably retire Milton Nunes as number. I think thirty two shirt because um, he's probably played the least amount of minutes, but made the most hilarious impact at summer.
1: Ipswich had a guy um, when we were spectacularly career towards relegation in. Probably a year later than that, actually, 2001, 2002. Like this panic by Ulrich Le Pen, okay? I think we spent like two million quid on him, which is big money for extra, believe you me. Um, he came on as a sub after about five minutes. You know where you follow through and the guy ahead of you touches the ball off and you kick the bottom of their foot? So, full pelt into the bottom of Michael Ricketts' foot. And we basically never saw him again. So, I'd like to retire... Ulrich Le Pen's, um, or maybe Leon Best's um, <laughs> account season ago, Jonathan Douglas, maybe.
0: I was reading some other, like, fan suggestions, and I think one of the best ones I've seen was, I think it was number 19, Eric Jember Jember at Man United.
1: Because
0: he's just <laughs> someone you always remember played for Man United. Like, I don't know what he did or how good or bad he was. Like, Cleverson's another one. Anderson won about what, because I sound like Eberson... Was that No, it was, yeah, Anderson, Cleberson, sorry, and I think Jemba Jemba, all uh, in like, the Narnie. same summer. Narni. yeah, Narni worked out, to be fair. That Ronaldo guy wasn't bad um, that they brought in around the same sort of time, but Jemba Jemba was always a baffling signing. You can, uh, to be fair, a really good shout was Southampton, Ali Dyer's number at Southampton. Amazing, amazing, yeah. He played for Gates. I think court. every
1: club did it, didn't
0: they? yeah. If you just if you started retiring shirt numbers for ridiculous reasons, you could have some absolute screamers. Talking about <laughs> um sort of classic names, we'd mentioned before, the one thing that I've always loved is obviously during lockdown, and I think a lot of people have paid a lot of mind to this as well. Uh football manager. I think we've all had periods in our life where we've lost years, months, days, girlfriends, wives, animals, whatever. Um, especially during lockdown oh, it seemed to come back into it yeah, and yeah. I have it's just there's so many things you can you, you can do with football manager and it just got better and better every year. And um classic football manager players I've always remembered what they used to do in my own careers and my own saves, but what actually happened to them. Um but who's some of your classic favorite football manager players of, of all time?
1: Um, I just quickly tell you my football manager um history, because I, I had to retire at quite a young age for all the reasons you've said, and I, I probably would be dead in a ditch if I hadn't stopped now. Um, so I go back to Championship Manager 95, 96, but I think I go back that far, um, and I stopped playing probably around 2001, 2002. I stopped playing when they started putting your game time up where you'd saved it. Yeah. So it said you spent, you know, nine days on this game. And then you calculate nine days of this entire year I've been sat at this computer (laughs) on this database. So, um, look, there was some classics I would go. Um, The game where Jesper Blomkvist was still at Gothenburg, he would sign for Aston Villa within about two days unless you got in really quickly. On that same game was a guy called Victor Leonenko who was a Ukrainian striker. I don't. Even, I think he was actually a player, but obviously complete um, data input error there. And, you know, he was, you know, like a cross between Di Stefano and Cruyff or whatever. So like, <laughs> Festa Sagu, did you ever pick up um, Nigerian striker Festa Sagu for about 15 grand and then um, sell him on for... 15 million two years later. If I used to go to Nigeria for a play, it was Taribo West on a free. Oh, Taribo West, yeah, before he was an inter. Yeah, some absolute corkers. Um, Cherno Samba. Cherno Samba. Mark, uh,
0: I remember going to see Cherno Samba. There was a Stadium of Light. They played a the game and it was an under 16s tournament. I must have been about nine or 10, maybe a bit older. And I had an under 16s tournament at the Stadium of Light where it was like Spain. France, England, and some other team. And Cherno Samba was in the England under-16s team. And I literally paid a fiver to go see what Cherno Samba was like. And the weird thing is, when I look back and who was in the team for like Spain and that, like Torres was up front. And like Silva was in this field. <laughs> but I went to see Cherno Samba and Steven Schumacher, also not a bad player, who played him well, football manager, actually became, I think, Clifford Bradford or something. But the one that sticks out for me, and I never know what happened to him, and I really should research it. But Kennedy Bakasiugu from Hammerby. Oh
1: uh, yeah, he was he was a player, he wasn't it, but he was ridiculous but and he was like defender, midfielder, attacker, right, left, center, like Nicholas Alexanderson before he went to Chipper Wednesday on Football Manager. No, some absolutely brilliant ones. And if you check out my Sabri Lamucci song on YouTube, I do quote, um, although he wasn't Ibrahim Bakayoko on Championship Manager 98, who was ludicrous from Montpellier, but he started up the game at about 10 million quid. But no, I've, I've loved it. And I just remember the mind-blowing thing. Do you remember... There was a season where Alan Shearer had done, when he got one of his bad knee injuries, and I remember loading up the game and Alan Shearer was actually injured on the game. And I thought, wow, this is yeah. so realistic. <laughs> now, you know, absolutely sensational. But I've, I've bailed out a football manager for probably the best part of two decades now. And I suspect have saved myself around, well, probably two to 300 days, an entire year of my life um, not playing the game. I think
0: the worst memory slash best memory I have of a Football Manager, actually, which surprisingly didn't stop me from playing it. I built this unbelievable Sunderland team, and I signed, and it was before he played for Spurs. Sergei Rebrov, who was pretty decent on Football Manager or Championship Manager as it was. Then I signed Martin Jorgensen, I think, from Udinese, and I had this ridiculous four-four-two, like proper straightforward fucking great four four two. I think I still had Phillips up front, but I had this ridiculous, uh, Phillips and Revro up front, that was it. And I had this great team. What I hadn't realized is when I was signing all of these players, because I didn't really care about the contract side of it. I just wanted to play, yeah, yeah, sign him. And I beat Man United at Old Trafford opening day of the season 5-2. And the next day, I didn't realize all these quality players that I signed for like pennies. I put on minimum, minimum free release closes on and Man United signed them all. They signed Jorgensen for like 15 million, Reproff for like seven million, and they signed all my players off me. And I went into the next game against like Watford, basically back to the team that I started with because I just lost them all. And I think really? I ended up like 16th, which from beating Man United 5-2 opening day of the season. So yeah, I should I should have more of a grievance towards Man United for that, but it's difficult to have any more grievance for Man United being a kid who lived throughout the 90s. Mm-hmm.
1: Interestingly, Graham, you just pretty much described how Charlton went into this season when uh, Joe Rebo, Patrick Barr, and Tarek who all just walked out for no money. Because kind of but just really quickly, um, how addicted I was. I remember in, in my GCSE year of school, um, my mother would have to leave the house before work, about 20 minutes before I would have to leave to walk to school. And I would literally, the second... I heard the door go. I was on my own in the house for about two minutes, run to the computer and just try and get a couple of, couple of quick games in on Champ Manager. And for some weird reason, because I've got no Sunderland affiliation, I also had an amazing Sunderland team. And I remember having an eight-year unbeaten home record. And I remember we had this computer table. And when I lost that home record, and it was a classic 22 shots to one, you lose oh, yeah. in the 78 minutes to the one shot against you. I remember kicking the table wall, thigh in the table from underneath, just, ah, oh, you know, I've lost it. And the whole top of the table coming off and the keyboard falling down. Interestingly enough, although you might not find this interestingly, I had figured out at that point, <laughs> Graham, that um, the database couldn't build new players, right? So what would happen is um, no new players were recreated. It was only ever the players that started the game. So. For example, there was one year where Rudy Voller was still on the game, but he was 37 or something. Yeah. And he would retire. And, of course, they couldn't generate new players. So pick two um, German names, Lothar Frings. So then the next season, Lothar Frings would appear. He'd be 17, and he'd have Rudy Voller's stats. So me being the sad idiot that I am, wrote down all of the players and when they were likely to retire um, and then just picked them all off as 17-year-olds for no money. I would literally know, ah, here comes reincarnation of Benini George. Teribo um, uh, Carnu has, <laughs> has has come up age 17, but I know those stats, attacking midfielder, forward, right, you know, pace, flair, whatever. That's Benini George reincarnated. So... Um, yeah, I, I got a bit sad on it and basically was guaranteed because I, I think my son of the team had basically reincarnated the 11 best players that you could get when the game, when the game started. One of which was old school Ronaldo, just the sheer, the sheer joy of that player. Is, it, it, even mentioning his name has just made me go warm inside.
0: Uh, the best Ronaldo, as many would say. I'm going to stay on the fence for that. But I've seen them both and they will both in my all-time team. Christian and R nine, they're both it's for it's different ridiculous. reasons. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Final thing, and I had to touch on it because I find him hilarious. Um, I think lots of people do, but I also really admire him. And he's managed both of our teams. Roy Keane, um, Michael Richards has absolutely annihilated him this week, um, and it's got me thinking. Roy Keane doesn't strike me as the kind of person that would have social media, but if you know what I mean, is he just doing it
1: for the likes? Um, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I think with people like Roy Keane, um, life is about power, isn't it? For someone like him. I don't want to get too uh, cod psychologist here, but to Roy Keane, being powerful and being the alpha male is the most important thing. And obviously, through most of his life, he was the best football player on any pitch he ever to a on. He was the best player and the captain in one of the best teams you or I have probably ever seen. Yeah. Great. That's fine. And then for the start of his managerial career, de facto alpha male, isn't he? He's the he's the boss, he's in charge. And he's successful. I think what's happened with Roy Keane since, and you know, this is a classic alpha male mad king losing their power type situation is How can I be the most powerful person in the room? Um, Well, hang on a minute. Gary Neville is in this room, and he's way better at punditing and says way smarter things than I do on a regular basis. What can I do? Well, A, I can be more aggressive than him, and B, I can be more outspoken than him. And I just think that someone like Roy Keane, and I'm I'm not criticising him. If this is how your brain works and how you've got through life, being an incredibly successful football player and a reasonable successful manager for about two years. Um, obviously way better at Sunderland than he ever was at Ipswich where he was horrendous. But um, I just think that's how his brain is wired. And what can he do now? He's out of the game. No one else is going to touch him. So he, he's more aggressive and more outspoken. That's, that's my view. That's all he can do to elevate himself And I think for Roy Keane, he would rather risk ridicule um, in, yeah, we get it, Roy. Standards were really high when you were at Man United. We get it. And you were a great player. But by the way, you had a great manager piecing all of this stuff together. And you weren't the guy running this. Alex Ferguson was mastermind in all of this. And yes, standards were high now. But there's only so many ways you can say, oh, well, standards, you know, they shouldn't be celebrating this, that, and the other. And, and uh, for me, Graham, for me, Clive, um, for me, Graham, it just, it just comes across as, um, as an alpha male doing what he can to still be the most... And, and it's like Twitter, isn't it? You either want to be the funniest person in the room, you want to be the smartest person in the room. Well, all he can do at the moment is be the most outspoken, the most confrontational, and the most aggressive. And they're the... They're the criteria that he's top of at the moment. What what's your view? I think
0: it's clouded by the fact I loved him at Sunland, but like I think what a lot of people maybe outside of Sunland don't see with Kino is that he came in when Sunland were like an absolute bunch of losers. Like we'd just broken our own lowest points record. I think we went down with nineteen points under McCarthy. We went down with fifteen points under um actually no, it was fifteen points under McCarthy, it was nineteen points under Reed. Wilkinson, and then latterly McCarthy. Um, definitely not Mick McCarthy's fault. Big, big fan. And, and there's a lot of stuff that goes behind that. But basically, Quinney took over and then appointed Roy Keane and we'd lost our first five or six games of the season. And we went on and won the league. And it was all about the standards that he brought in. And it was all about the... Uh, he didn't take any shit. He was basically Roy Keane. And it was at a time when we needed a winner that had standards and wouldn't take any shit. So sometimes I think I'm right, a right. fan...
1: Can I come in there, though? I think he was still Roy Keane, the player there. He still had the same... He could still do the same thing he could do when he was captain of Manchester United. And I just think, over time, A, that has worn off, and B, that doesn't work anymore. If Alex Ferguson or Brian Clough were managers now, they would have an assistant doing pattern of play. They would. Bobby Robson would. Um, they just would, because that's how the game has moved on now, and it's it's not enough. You have to have incredibly high standards and also be incredibly tactically good now. We're, we're in an era now where full-backs, centre-halves, and goalkeepers can all play as good as central midfielders do in terms of their first touch and the first pass if you subtract 20 years off. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that... Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is as good as Roy Keane was on the ball, um, but that's where we're going towards now, and it's, it's just not enough, and especially with when you're talking to Damien Delaney and David Norris at Ipswich, yeah, fair enough, you can say to David Beckham, um, no, it's not good enough, and know that this guy is hyper-driven, hyper-ambitious, one percenter who's kicked the ball through a tyre since the age of 16 and or 13 or whatever, and that will work, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work anymore, and it doesn't work without um, individuals that are the same in makeup. Do
0: you, do you know what I mean? I think with with some, probably, our view. I'm saying our. I don't want to speak for everyone. Everyone's different, but I think the reason that when Keane goes on his outburst and Sunderland fans get a bit giddy is probably just because it reminds us of the time when we went from being shit to good based on Roy Keane being an absolute bastard for like the best part of two years. And it's like, you see a lot of people who would love to see Keane back. And I think it's, um, I've probably said the same, but I think it's probably quite fanciful. It's probably, like you say, the game probably has moved on. And I think-
1: No Graham, that, that one season was the only time that worked. Do you agree with that?
0: First two seasons, I would say, for us. But then after that, but in and,
1: terms of that miraculous change occurred in one season, and then um, oh, yeah. a fairly decent Premier League season yeah. afterwards. That's it. That's it in Keane's. Um, I mean, look, I can only speak for the Ipswich side. It just didn't work. You know? didn't, work what, but, didn't work with Sunland
0: when he brought in similar size egos. Cisse, yeah. uh, El Hadjiouf, Chimbonde. I mean Chumbonda is like a real enigma, right? Isn't he? It's like when you think of it, he's like he was the player that put his transfer request in his socket the end of the Wigan game and went by yeah, that, out of the Wigan, yeah. I'm I'm off to uh to, to Spurs podium. Um and that's kind of where it went for went wrong for Keane. And there is obviously you'll never know because I was never in the dressing room, but the belief that he brought in characters that were just too challenging to I don't want to use the word control, but like would just do what they bloody well wanted and Roy Keane
1: was a no-one to them. Like, And miraculously, Graham, within three minutes of a non rich podcast, you've just mentioned Roy Keane, Paul Jewell, and Mick McCarthy oh, all in a God. row. So can I just quickly say, Paul Hurst, Paul Lambert, we've done the entire Marcus Evans <laughs> set there um, of, of his managerial hires, none of which, okay, Mick aside, none of which um, were very good hires. <laughs>
0: Love, love Mick, Mick, love Mick McCarthy. Love him. I don't know how much chips are trying to agree with that, but there you go.
1: Um, yeah, well, very, very different situations at those two clubs. But there are a lot of people that love him, and I, I can understand why. Of course. So, first one in the can
0: uh first what the folk happened this week pod where we just basically shot the shit about loads of different things um as always as people know you can like subscribe or do whatever the hell you want on the internet these days but i would prefer if you like or subscribe or something but ben uh thanks very much for joining me mate and i hope it was a, a good meaningless hour of chat and shite as we always do for an alleged living but there you go mate thanks very much uh,
1: can i just do a couple of
0: plugs graham go for it constant yeah so
1: at Ben. The- at Benjamin Benjamin Bloom on Twitter but go subscribe on YouTube for lots of championship content and as Graham says um, some of us have lost our jobs during COVID and we're bashing out as many Patreon and YouTube subscribers as we possibly can because maybe we could do this part-time or full-time in the future so please do go and support. You might think that your 79 piece super chat isn't worth it, but believe me, it really, really is when you when you're trying to um, well, when you see what YouTube ad revenue pays and you're trying to um, you're trying to push forward. So yeah, please go subscribe on there. Awesome. Cheers, Ben. Thanks very much, mate. Appreciate it.